0: Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey, where along with my partners, Anne and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. So I've always wanted to say this on the air, so here I go. Greetings from Asbury Park. Man, that felt good. So today we're sitting in the beautiful transparent gallery across the street from the boardwalk and the beach as we take a look at the business of rock photography with arguably the best music photographer of this generation, and owner of this gallery, Danny Clinch, who's photographed just about every heavyweight in the music over the last three decades. I'm going to let Danny tell you his Jersey journey to today, but no one thing. Danny loves music. He listens to it. He plays it on harmonica with the Tangiers Blues Band. And yeah, he photographs and films it from Johnny Cash to Tupac Shakur to Tony Bennett. To the only boss I ever listened to, Bruce Springsteen. His work has appeared on hundreds of album covers and gracing the pages of Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, Esquire, to name a few. As a director, he's received three Grammy nominations for music videos for artists like Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam, Willie Nelson, Dave Matthews, who I'm going to mention in a little bit later, who's going to be performing down the street, Danny's, I guess, side hustle, running the now legendary Sea Here Now music, surfing and arts festival. And the rest of his bio, you can read on his site. And trust me, there's so much more. But let's welcome Danny Clinch to Financially Speaking. Hey, Danny. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate you coming here and taking time to chat today. So as I look around this incredible gallery, I think of Rod Stewart's song, Every Picture Tells a Story. But for now, I'd love to hear your story, which, of course, like all good stories, starts in New Jersey and how you fell in love with music and photography, and got your start by being this class historian photographer. So, who first put a camera in your hand?
1: I would say my mother. My mother really is like kind of the snapshot queen. She photographed every event for our family, and we have a big family, so it was a lot of family photos, and certainly, you know, on Christmas and Easter and all the holidays. and She always had a camera, and I decided... You know, I loved to draw. I was always drawing and creating art and stuff as a youngster. And at a certain point, I decided I wanted to have a camera. So I ended up winning a camera at a church function. And it was exciting for me to have the camera. And I started taking pictures everywhere. And it turned out...
0: What kind of camera was it?
1: It was a little plastic snapshot camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I had to bring... have as many kids as I could bring to the Bible school for the summer. And I came in second place. And there was a big pile of awards there that you would get whoever bought the most kids and i really wanted the fishing pole and the kid who won took the fishing pole
0: really what was that kid's name
1: i don't know but i I don't know i think i would be a good fisherman if i had went for the wow but anyway i got the camera and i continued to be just obsessed with music and taking photographs and you know as most kids that age i I was probably a pretty lazy kid about the things that i didn't want to do but when i got a camera in my hand i just became obsessed with taking photographs and when it came time for me to decide what i wanted to do with my life i i didn't really know and i decided to pursue photography and it turned out actually that my grandfather on both sides my grandfather's both took photographs and my dad's dad was a house painter. They didn't have a lot of money. And I always wondered, how, do they, how did you guys take so many photos, like when you were kids? Because it had to be expensive, mm-hmm. you know? And he said, well, you're, you know, your grandfather was really into taking photographs, so he made it happen. And I said, yeah, but he's in all the photos. How did you, you know, and he said, well, if you look at the photos, you can always see that his hand is behind his back. <laughs> and he arranged like a little fishing string or something. To pull the shutter and I just found that to be really interesting and I didn't realize that and I didn't find that stuff out until later on in my life
0: Yeah, that's a great story And I will just tell you I had a grandfather who moved to your emigrated when he was seven years old and that was the trade He learned photography and was a commercial photographer in Philadelphia and each one of his grandchildren My brother and my sister have 20 photo albums documenting really the first 21 years of our lives. And my niece's nephews and my kids, to a little bit extent, have them from him because he lived to almost be 100. And so I just honor the the history of photography. And, you know, you mentioned your dad was a house painter. Was there, there's a creative side there, though. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: My dad's side of the family, very creative. My uncle and my aunts and just a lot of people were super super creative.
0: Was there anything in the environment that you grew up in that you look back on and think that led to where you are today?
1: You know, I am also a people person. You know, I, I love people and my mom and dad are the same way. They're very non-judgmental and they we're always taking in the black sheep of our family, you know, kids who got kicked out of their own house were living with us. And mm-hmm. We had foster, I had a couple foster sisters. Oh. And and so I do sort of, that does tie in for me, my love for people and my love for creativity and, and, and interesting people, people that are sort of outside the box and outside the norm. I'm drawn to.
0: Mm-hmm. So who or what was the first picture you took that others noticed and realized, hey, you know what there's there's something special here this kid's got as Bruce calls it the magic.
1: Mm. You know, for me personally, I don't know how other people viewed it and I haven't really asked them and nobody's really brought it up, but for me, I was I went to school at Ocean County College for 2 years and I took visual communications there and I started photographing it. and I I was always photographing my family and experimenting on them and I still do to this day. And I took a photograph of my two nephews, Josh and Jared, and they were holding their little sister, Jessica. And they were young. They were like maybe five and six, let's say. And my mom was holding the infant, who was my niece, Jessica. And she had like a polka dotted blouse on, but she wasn't in the photo, but her arm was in and was holding the kid up. And like, to me, I felt like that photograph to me, like set a tone for me where it's like, A really honest document where you're really connecting with the people but there's often a little surprise in there and for me personally that photograph was the one where I thought I feel like I'm on to something you know and this was just with my family I hadn't really been photographing musicians with the access that I that I have today.
0: Sure. And I love that you mentioned the arm because that kind of goes back to your grandfather a little bit. Yeah. So so if this was five hundred years ago, you Mm -hmm. wanted to have a craft or be an artisan, you'd have to apprentice. So you got that opportunity. Let's talk a little bit about that.
1: You know, I was always trying to figure out what my next move was. I went to school for photography. I you know, went to Ocean County College, and I went to New England School of Photography in Boston. And my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Maria, was studying at FIT, and she got an opportunity to go study Shakespeare in London. Hmm. And so she went off on this trip to study abroad. It was a couple of weeks, and no one in my family had really gone to college. My mom went to nursing school and, and graduated, but I felt like I just really didn't realize you could go somewhere to study like that. And it was really inspiring to me. And I decided to look around and see if I f- could find a workshop or something interesting that I could that I could latch on to. And I found the Ansel Adams Gallery workshops mm-hmm. in Yosemite I had a workshop coming up and one of the instructors was going to be Annie Leibovitz, mm. who was really one of my my heroes. Sure, of course. Her early work is like right. a huge influence on me. Her work in general is a huge influence on me. And long story short, Annie Leibovitz and David Hockney were two of the instructors that year. And I went out. And decided to do that workshop and then another one after I had a plan as to what I was going to do then Go to LA and try and get a job assisting or interning or something and I went to the workshop and I became friends with her assistant and Just really got a lot out of the workshop and was really enjoying it and I would then like skip some of the other Photographers and go to the Annie class like for a second time even though you mm-hmm. know because they, they would shift people and long story short turned out she was looking for an intern and asked her assistant to keep his eyes open and for one and then at the end of the workshop annie asked me to be an intern and i was like let me check my calendar (laughs) yeah okay
0: i mean now it was it was a dream come true and
1: it was a great great opportunity and she she is very very passionate about what she does and she doesn't take any bull and she works as hard as anyone I've ever seen and is super driven and it was a real real great lesson for me as a photographer and one of the big things I learned is that you know when you look at someone like her and you look at her work a master of the genre and of photography and portrait photography and it's like it can really feel like magic you know as a guy like me I was really young and I would look at her photographs and it just seemed just kind of magical to me. And to be able to be on the set and watch her work and see how she did things and realize that it was an actual human being there, like composing the photograph and focusing and shooting the, <laughs> and directing and all that stuff was like, was really mind-blowing to me. And, and that gave me some confidence to think like, oh, okay, it's not magic. It's like hard work and it's talent and that sort of thing and that's
0: really the 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 best education you can ever get and that's something we we, you know we Mm -hmm. we talked did with my kids and certainly talked to a lot of millennials about and and the younger generations is how important the internships are and not the ones that you you know you're not really involved but the advice that i think you would give people is pay attention,
1: pay attention and put yourself in a position to be fortunate enough to get something like people were like, oh my gosh, you're so lucky you worked with Annie. And I was like, well, I, I'm not sure I would call it luck. <laughs> I worked really hard. I went two years of school. I found a workshop. I worked hard to pay for that workshop yeah, and I showed up and put, you know, recently I heard someone say the harder I work, the luckier I get.
0: <laughs> so true. So true. So Another interview that I was uh, watching recently, I think it might have been the 60 Minutes interview, used a word that has just always been one of my favorite words, and mostly because of the gentleman who I heard it from the first time when it wasn't an internship, it was my first job and was working for Larry King. And when I interviewed Larry recently for this show, you know, we talked about the key to success, and, and I said, what's the one word that describes it? And it was curious. And I guess I would really want to know what the root that sparked your curiosity in your life, because at the end of the day, that's where the success comes in.
1: That's interesting. I love that word, curious. And in fact, I have a, a section on my website that's called Curious. And it's really just work that has nothing to do with, it's more of a personal, like personal work. It has nothing to do with an assignment. doesn't have anything to do with anything except interesting photographs. Mm-hmm. I tend to like and be drawn to curious people. The people that I spend time with, the people I work with, some people that I make films with, are all people who are just, you know, they're not satisfied with just anything. You know, they want to go out and experience the world and they want to ask questions. They want to seek out new and interesting people and new and interesting experiences. And and I feel like that's a huge part of my thinking. And... Hit me with that question well, one more time. Really, the, so just, can,
0: we just wanted to talk about curiosity in general. And, and I think what I was asking is, you know, really what sparked the curiosity? Where where do you think that came from? Or was it just built in?
1: Oh, you know, the curiosity part is just, I think it is part of my DNA. And it's yeah. part of where I've come from. Like, I think of my father and the way that he just was really curious about people. I told someone a story recently, and I've told it a bunch recently because it makes me laugh, is that, say you go to a wedding or you're at a gathering or something, and there's like, you know, or you're in this situation with people and there's somebody there that's like a little bit off and a little bit like the vibe I'm getting from people around them is just like, eh, I'm going to stay away from that guy. I'm just going to be over here, like, you know, and avoiding this person. And my father would be the person that would just like, sit down next to him, you know, at the bar (laughs) and say like, this guy looks interesting. I'm curious what he has to say. It was really, it's funny because, you know, he would always gravitate towards those people and he would talk to them for, you know, for hours sometimes. And I'm not exaggerating. And I feel I have that same thing. I'm drawn to interesting people. I'm drawn to people who live outside the box. I think musicians who I spend a lot of time with in my business are people that are outside the box
0: (laughs) and curious and curious without a doubt. So in the forward of your really beautiful Danny Clinch still moving book, which we have right here on the table, Springsteen writes, there's always his knowledge of the artist, his eye for the striking, the captured moment of definition, end quote. So you seem to have a knack for being in the right place at the right time for the right shot. Where's that come from? What do you attribute that part? Is that part of the curiosity?
1: You know, it's part of the curiosity and it's it's part of my obsession with documenting musical history. It's part of my love of the, of the document. Photographers that I've always loved, people like Danny Lyon and Robert Frank, they just were of the moment. And that sort of photograph, that style, in my opinion, never goes out of style. Hmm. There was nothing like trendy about the work that they do. And to me, like that moment is... If I could only have one thing in my photograph, if it was a bad exposure, if the composition was bad, if the lighting was bad, like, you can't beat a great moment. That moment will trump everything in that image. What I would rather say is <laughs> mm-hmm. that moment would supersede anything.
0: So give us an example of one of those moments. I mean, there are many in this book, and, and I can think of many off the top of my head, but I'd love to hear what, what you one that stands out to you.
1: Well... That's a good question. I Mm -hmm. mean, I I feel like I'm trying to think of like a moment that, I mean, I feel like it would have to be an image that was, if, if I was bringing all those elements in, it would have to be an image that, you know, obviously feels like it's lacking in technical.
0: So maybe it's during a concert. So, where, you yeah, know, I mean, you, I could I, I think watch of... You do, um, I watch yeah. you during a lot of shows. You're, yeah. on, you're on amplifiers, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're hiding in the back. Yeah. You're, I mean, I, I, you're, you're singing along with Bruce. Whatever you're doing, I'm yeah. watching. And, yeah. you know, you're kind of always looking for that moment.
1: Yeah. I guess I would say the images that pop out in my mind are just, you know, early when I was, you know, a lot younger, I snuck my camera into the Van Halen show in Mm. Philly and David Lee Roth leaped off the amplifier and I was above him and the light is shining down on him and you can see his shadow in the spotlight. When, I got back to my parents' garage where I had my darkroom at the time and processed it. It was like a little underexposed and it was all kinds of dirt and dust on it because of the conditions I was working in, in the garage and a lot of fog. And I had rewound the the film a certain way and got stuck and it was kind of shredded and at the end of the day like all that didn't matter because the moment of him leaping right. off of that
0: you caught the moment yeah so it probably wasn't easy to them. bring the camera in back then as, uh, I, yeah. as I recall yeah, that's true <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, probably have to you know i know that 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 all yeah. took a lot of work so oh, yeah so you'd probably everybody talks about one day in their life that you know, they look at and wow, that was a really important day. So for you, from what I've read in March of 1999, I think I'd love our listeners to hear that story, which probably involves the two greatest musical poets of our generation.
1: Well, it was March 16th. Okay. And I had sent my book, Discovery in. It's a book full of musicians, my first book that I did. I had sent one to Bruce Springsteen. And Sandy Cheron, who was designing a lot of the album packaging right. and tour books and sure. stuff at that time. Wonderful lady. And I had sent some books to her in hopes that they would find their way to her. And I wrote a little note, you know, from Jersey or mm-hmm. from Jersey. why not yeah, Give me a shot. <laughs> Gotta right? play that card every time. <laughs> you do, right? <laughs> so what we do here in Jersey, folks. Yeah. So I sent, I sent the books off. At the same time, you know, let's say this is a month prior, I was doing a shoot with John Mellencamp. And the publicist there for John is Larry Jenkins, great guy. We'd worked together on a couple projects and he brought me in for John and the shoot was going really well. And, you know, he just came up to me like at lunch and said, Hey man, you know, I really like your style. You know, it just feels so loose and honest and like John seems to be really digging it. And like, I work with Bob Dylan also. And I think the next time he wants to do a shoot, I'm going to throw your hat in the ring, you know? And I I said, I like, all right, well, yeah, of course. Do your thing. That would be incredible. And your you?
0: photographer always has a hat, uh, yeah, which makes well, yeah. it even easier. <laughs> and so
1: um, I said, okay, great. You know, move on. And so fast forward, March sixteenth, and I get a call from Jeff Rosen, who's Bob Dylan's manager. And I've gotten to know him over the years. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful man, and has a great sense of humor. Of course, I didn't know it at the time. And he calls me and says, Danny, uh, my name's Jeff Rosen. I manage a, a singer-songwriter. You might have heard of him. His name is Bob Dylan.
0: <laughs> you might have like, heard of him.
1: Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said, Larry Jenkins says you're the guy. to photographed Bob Dylan. And I was like, well, Larry's a genius, and we should listen to everything Larry says. And we had a laugh, and I said, you know, yeah, count me in. Just let me know. And I literally... Hung up the phone and my studio manager Lisa, who's been with me for 20 years, saw me just kind of laying in the middle of the loft, you know, on the floor. And she's like, What was that phone call? And I said, You're not gonna believe it. I mean, I know I sent the book for Springsteen. It's not Springsteen, but it was like Bob Dylan, like I'm gonna shoot Bob Dylan. Like I think it's gonna be amazing, photographing Bob Dylan. So we all had a you know a big kind of celebration. And I went off to another meeting that I had at MTV at the time. And I got down to the meeting and I was telling them about like sending the book to Springsteen and getting the call from Dylan and oh you know, it's not Springsteen, but come on. It's Dylan. It's a win right here, right? (laughs) It's a big win. And we're having a laugh and you know, and I sent the book and and all of a sudden my phone rings and I excuse myself and I pick up the phone.
0: Probably your flip phone. This is ninety nine. I imagine.
1: And it was Sandy Charon. Same day, same afternoon. Wow. And she said, listen, I was heading to some rehearsals at Fort Monmouth with Bruce and the E Street Band and she said I, I got the books thank you very much and I gave one to Bruce and he wants to know if you want to come down and photograph at Fort Monmouth you know for the tour book because you know putting the E Street Band back together and I was uh, you know, of course I, I, my mind was blown and I was like wow absolutely just let me know when I need to be there and and I'll show up and I went back into that meeting and I was just like you are not going to believe this <laughs> I just got a call to photograph Bruce Springsteen. So on that day, March 16th, 1999, it became like a, an interesting date because like then the following year, Johnny Cash or Milk Cow Blues. So Johnny Cash, Solitary Man, and Willie Nelson, Milk Cow Blues, both were released Right around March 16th and I had the album cover for both of those. So I had Solitary Man, Johnny Cash. I had Willie Nelson, Milk Cow Blues. And then the following year I got a call around that date to photograph Tom Petty and I hadn't photographed Tom Petty before. And so, it's kind of just become like a national holiday at the studio.
0: Listen, whoever said, beware the Ides of March, I don't know if I know <laughs> it's in Shakespeare you. or whatever, Julius I mean, Caesar, can but, you believe that? but for you, the Ides of March are, yeah, are, 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 are big strong. days. And, and folks, if you haven't seen the photo that Danny took of Bob Dylan reading a Spanish newspaper in the Ambassador Hotel where Robert F. Kennedy, it's famous for a lot of reasons, but where Robert F. Kennedy was killed in June of 68, it's in his book and it is just really one of the yeah. best and, and, interesting shots of Dylan I've ever seen.
1: And the Ambassador Hotel, I chose that location because visually there were a lot of options, but Dylan understood the history there, yeah. which I assumed he would, but like he really was excited to be there because they had the Coconut Grove room where right. the Rat Pack used to play. Exactly. And of course, the history with Kennedy and he really was into it. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that we were supposed to shoot for four hours and we shot for like more like six or seven. Yeah,
0: I I honestly cannot think of of an artist that would make more sense at the Ambassador Hotel than Bob Dylan. So in 2019, we got this digital age. All right. So when people basically are constantly infringing on copyright day and night, So how does an artist like you protect your artwork?
1: You know, that is a great question. One of the things, you know, as a photographer, when you click the shutter and you make the image, it's copyrighted, you know, for yourself, unless it's a work for hire. And still it can be copyrighted once you click the shutter. Mm -hmm. And so when people infringe on that, you know, you can, you have the right to, you know, to take them to court. The other thing is it's important to, and I've taken a lot of my, really more well-known images, and you can federally copyright them. You can register a federal copyright, and that helps you down the line. And people still infringe on it. I've had people infringe on my photograph of Tupac and put it on a T-shirt.
0: Yeah, paint on it, do something. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and,
1: you know, so it's something you have to look out for. It's something that, you know, I think about all the time.
0: So, Danny, let's talk a little bit more about photography as art.
1: Well, you know, at the gallery here, we have people from all walks of life come in here. So you have like just the crazy music fans up to, you know, producers and musicians themselves. So what I try to do with my photographs is I want them to be approachable. I've taken them because I want people to be able to hang them in their homes. I want people to be able to like afford to buy one of my prints. So in a way, I have it set up in a a way that like some of my smaller prints, 11 by 14 and 16 by 20 are not additioned and they're less expensive and they're, you know, they're affordable for most, for most people. And then as the images get bigger or perhaps also become like I have unique ways of printing them, whether it's like a tintype or whether it's on aluminum, but everything's archival. The larger images are then additioned. So I will only make so many of them. And then at that point, that becomes a great investment for someone who loves an artist or wants to take a chance on a bigger photograph where there may be just one of 15 versus the others, which aren't additioned.
0: So what do you think is the future of collecting music photography as an investment?
1: Well, I think that photography as art has been proven. And I think people who love music and appreciate a beautiful photograph will always want to invest in some good art and photography. And it's like, you know, someone in in your life, like Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen Mm -hmm. or anyone for that matter, Patty Smith, you know have made music that means a lot to you it's helped you get through a hard times or helped you celebrate good times it means a lot to people and I think that if it's a great photograph printed really well on archival paper then it, it's worth the investment and I think that a lot of people are out there claiming to be photographers because they can pick up now a digital camera that has auto everything exactly. and capture a decent photo and you know, perhaps a great photo. I mean, I, I, I don't know. But I think what it really comes down to is, like, the soulfulness of the image and, and also to, like, really good access and trust from the artists themselves. Like, I have a lot of longstanding relationships with artists, and I think they understand and appreciate my love of music photography and my love of their music and wanting to document it for history. And, you know, I was allowed to spend time backstage with Bruce at the Broadway shows.
0: I and I have the picture you yeah. took signed by you. I yeah. That is that is on my piano.
1: Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. And there really was nobody really was rightfully, you know, allowed back there. He's got work to do, he's got preparation to do. But I always respect the fact that he has all that other work to do. And I don't, you know, I get in there and do what I want to do and need to do and, and then I just get out. And I think that he understands that or he wouldn't let me d- back there. Right. But I think he also, someone like Bruce, does understand how important that document is. It is important. Yes. And you know, you're you not just going to let anybody back there because you've yeah. got work to do. This is critical and it's all about timing. And I show respect to everyone that surrounds the artists, you right. know, the managers and the tour managers and the guitar techs and all those people. They have jobs to do. Hell yeah. They have really, you know,
0: know, strong jobs to do and big responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And it may seem easy sometimes the artist comes out and obviously Bruce is unique with his four hour shows, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. And and there's a lot of work as a photographer. And I know for me personally, the artwork in my life, quite frankly, includes yours, Frank Stefanko, Erk Miola, Edlin Goldsmith, people that have, you know, just taken these iconic images that I want to own, but I want to own properly, you know. And if they're signed, even better. Yeah, sure. So let's go back. Here we are in August of 2019. So let's go back to Yasker's farm 50 years ago. Mm. This month, actually, I think next week. Mm-hmm. And you got to be at Woodstock. So my question—I was thinking about this when I was driving over. Not well. Not, I wasn't at the original Woodstock. I don't know. No, we're all talking. Okay. No, 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 Okay, but, but we're going to put you there. Okay. For this oh, oh question, you're telling me. I yeah, was at Woodstock. Okay. I'm throwing you at Woodstock. The only person <laughs> I know at Woodstock is Maureen Van Zant, and her story with Jimi Hendrix is a great story, and that's, oh, a, like that's, that's that. another yeah. show. Okay. But which performer would you be focusing on, you know, and why, and, and maybe how you would handle a crowd like that? And I know you've been around some big crowds at Bonnaroo and your own festival, but, you know, throw you at Woodstock. Who are the first two or three artists you're running towards? the
1: hendrix is is the obvious choice i think for everyone and i'm a big Y fan so there's that
0: and their performance is epic
1: yeah so i'd be going there you know i'm friends with elliot landy and henry diltz who were but henry was hired by michael lang you know to to document woodstock right and i have some work there at the morrison hotel and And Henry's a part of that. And he's just, he's a great guy. And and I tend to live vicariously through him. I think about that moment of being there and Jim Marshall. And so, yeah, I mean, it's mind blowing. I always think that for me, my most favorite spot to photograph from is behind the drum kit or behind like an amplifier where I can hide, but then pop up and catch the musicians and the relationship between not only the musicians and the audience, but the musicians and the venue. So being able to see all that, like the shot that I've been seeing a shot around that's uh, Richie Havens mm-hmm. from the back and you can just see the, the craziness masses, and the, the madness masses. of, of what, what, what happened there. And then I did get to go to Woodstock 94. I went with Blind Melon and I ended up playing with Blind Melon oh. at Woodstock. Wow. Yeah, You can Google it oh, and see it. Oh, I would love to see it's that. Pretty, it's pretty crazy. Oh. God,
0: I have to say. Well, that must and, uh, have been amazing. I was,
1: I was scared to death, but like we had a yeah, great What's time it like
0: looking, look, you know, it's something I was also thinking about, what's it like, I was going to ask you later about this, but this fits right now. You're out there in front of an audience and, you know, I've seen you on stage a number of times and, You know, I'm going to start with a small audience because, you know, you were honored earlier this year by the Christian Ann Carr Foundation, a really wonderful, wonderful foundation that honored all of your charitable work and what you've done for them over the last 20, 25 years. And you got up, Tangier's played, and and you guys had just a killer set. And then Bruce came on and played some old blues songs. (laughs) And I was fortunate enough to be right up front taking video of you playing harmonica with Bruce. And and, it always runs through my mind. What is that like? That's a small crowd, but, you know, yeah. the Woodstock 94, a lot Yeah, of I played with the Foo Fighters, too, in front yeah. of a big crowd and Pearl Jam and stuff. You know,
1: for a real long time, even when I started playing in the blues band, I would not face the audience, and the singer from the band, King, would always come over to me and literally put his hands on my shoulders and, like, turn me around. <laughs> this was, like, 25 years ago. Yeah. And the first couple times that I guested with musicians... My first band I did play with was Blind Melon, opening for Neil Young and Soundgarden at the Garden State Art Center over here. Sure, and, I still um, call it the Garden State yeah, Art Center. Yeah, I, I figure uh, well, forever. I, no, you know, nope. yeah, me too. So it was pretty frightening, and you're so worried about playing and playing well, and and like I've finally gotten over the hump where I can go out and play and actually acknowledge to myself that i'm up on the stage like looking right. around and there's exactly you know dave grohl or there's you know mm-hmm. jeff Ahmed from pearl jam sure. looking at me laying down the the beat i mean it's just mm-hmm. it's kind of mind-blowing and i don't take it for granted and i just i really it is kind of dreamy because it is kind of like not well I was thinking, not, a, and not what, a regular reality you now in one of your <laughs>
0: earlier interviews someone was talking to you about bruce and you talked about i think you won the album Born to Run in a Carnival Game or something like that as as a kid?
1: Well, yeah, Seaside Heights is where I grew up, you know, in Tom's River, you know, the wheel of chance, The wheel of chance, yeah. And round and round she goes, Mm -hmm. where she stops, no one knows. Mm -hmm. And you put your quarter down. I just remember... My first two records I don't remember the order specifically but one was Born to Run right and one was
0: Rumours Fleetwood Mac yeah. Rumours Now did they give it to you on a cassette
1: No it was an al- it was an, so LP. an actual vinyl Oh yeah it was vinyl It wow, was cool it was, that was w- cool. one of my fondest memories in yeah. fact you know, a lot of the boardwalk has changed, and somebody was having a big sale down there, and I bought one of those big mm-hmm. wheels
0: right. from Seaside. Oh, cool. You know, with mom, sure. pop, yep. sis, Sense. Yep. you know, bro. <laughs> I mean, so cool. That is cool. Yeah. So for everyone listening, if you have not been down to Danny's Gallery, Transparent Gallery in Asbury Park, you're missing the Louvre of the Jersey Shore. I mean, this gallery, <laughs> well, you can you quote me on that. I I, love I, that. I, that's how I feel. The gallery's become a must-see destination. Before I ask you the actual question, what's the, the name Transparent? Where does that come from?
1: It comes from like Transparency, which is like a slide, mm-hmm. slide film. Sure. And I thought it would be, you know, this was supposed to be a three-month pop-up. I was offered to fill this space up for three months with iStar, who owned the Asbury Hotel and the Asbury Ocean Club mm-hmm. and other places here in Asbury. They bought me into this room and I thought, oh my goodness, like look at, look at this you know, these windows and we started to talk about what could we do here and how could we do it? And one of the things that we agreed to was that we have to put this vinyl images on the windows because this atrium here is so beautiful. Right. And these remind me of transparencies, which are, you know, slides, oh. you know, that you would take I, and back I, in I, the day. I'm
0: staring at one yeah. of these street band right now yeah. and, and, and Tupac, but Patty like Smith, exactly what it the is. DC boys, Johnny, Smith, Johnny Cash. Yeah.
1: Johnny Ramone. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Johnny Greenwood. Look at this. Three Johnnies. I never realized that. Holy cow. Wow. And so I thought of the word transparency, and then we just thought we would call it transparent gallery. And I would like to say, before I forget, it's just like we started as a pop-up, and we decided we were going to have... We wanted it to be very relaxed and really comfortable, and my wife Maria and I came in and we saw the space, and we met with Baron & Barron, which is a design, a creative company out of New York City, and we all talked about how could we make this really, really cool, and we were like, let's have a back line with like a drum kit, some amplifiers, some guitars, people want to come in and play music, musicians visit and they want to play we can and so we not only did that and really got off on a good foot by having live music events here all the time
0: which by the way you can follow on the transparent gallery facebook yeah. page transparent I, gallery yeah.
1: facebook right. and we also have transparent gallery transparent clinch instagram instagram right at transparent
0: so you page. get to see all of this yeah. stuff yeah Yep. Really and uh amazing and artists the
1: irony of it was is that my friend tina Kurekis, who had just lost her lease on the boardwalk because they were redoing the building there, was selling on the boardwalk art and mid-century modern furniture Mm -hmm. and vinyl and all the cool stuff that we all love. And we decided that she would run the gallery and we would wrap in her vibes into here as well. And it's been incredible. And one of the things we're most proud of is that we do a lot for the community here. We have meetings here for a lot of the local foundations that are giving back to the community. Right. And it's it's been very cool.
0: And what's so cool is it's not your typical beachfront property like Madame Marie or Frozen Custard or anything else that's up there on the boardwalk. This is just so unique. And as someone who grew up going down the Jersey Shore and really kind of missed the heyday of Asbury Park and so fortunate now in my life that my kids get to see you know, the new heyday of Asbury Park, yeah. which is yeah. just just an incredible place. So, mm-hmm. speaking of Asbury, before yep. I let you go, yeah. tell us a little bit about the See Here Now Festival coming up this year and, and, and how, how this all got started. Well, it's in
1: September, Great. 21 and 22. Okay, It's sold out, which is really exciting. That's terrific. You know, I've been around Asbury Park a long time. I grew up in Tom's River. I would always come to the Stone Pony. I would bring bands from New York City to Asbury back in the day when there was nobody here, literally, nobody here. And the band would say, Hey, uh, let's do a shoot. We want it to be gritty and have like a strong vibe for it, but we don't want to be in New York city. We're not from New York city. Let's find someplace different. I would bring them to Asbury. So that was always fun. And then my buddy, Tim Donnelly and I grew up together in Tom's river. We would always come to Asbury Park. We'd come to the Stone Pony together. He got his start as a music journalist. He's a big, big music fan. Very, very knowledgeable of all sorts of music from The Grateful Dead to Social Distortion. And, you know, he just very well-rounded. Both of us love all kinds of music. We were throwing these little sort of gallery shows on the boardwalk when it was pretty much empty. There was a little bit of a resurgence, right. but there always had been, oh, a little resurgence, and then bam, it mm-hmm. would go down. it. Right. But like, this felt was feeling good, and we decided that we would do these little gallery shows, these little art shows, so we'd get some music, we'd have surfers come in, and they would make art, and there would be surfing, we'd have a band. It would be just like a little party, and we called it See Here Now. And it started that way, and it was really fun. We had a great time doing it. And when Sandy happened, Superstorm Sandy hit this area, Tim and I decided that we were going to try and put on a show, a concert, to raise money for the local on-the-ground Charities that were really doing work, you know, like not the bigger, big charities, right, but right, smaller ones right. on the ground. And we called on some friends of ours in the industry and through this show at the Paramount. It was My Morning Jacket, it was Joseph Arthur, it was Jesse Mallon, sure. Brian Fallon, you know, Nicole Atkins, a lot of really great local and right. national artists. Sure, sure. Preservation Hall Jazz Band. Wow. And they all came down and represented for us. And we were we were kind of blown away by how well it went and the sense of community here in Asbury Park and all that. And we decided that we would partner up with another friend of ours, H.M. Wolman, and create a one, a one sheet that pitching this idea of See Here Now as a festival. I mean, here we are in Asbury Park. You look around and the architecture here and you're on the ocean and the musical history that surrounds this town and the idea that we might throw a festival. On the beach let's see what happens so we had a lot of friends we went through a bunch of people we went down the road sometimes pretty far and it just never came together and we ran into my friend tim sweetwood who puts on shaky knees in atlanta and we pitched him the idea here's the one sheet here's our idea look what you've done in atlanta he now was working with c3 developing festivals for them. General just a really good guy a music fan like us mm-hmm. you know, We're all just so grateful to be doing something. We love exactly he was the first one to say hey You know like this is a pretty cool idea like why don't I come to Asbury and have a look and we were like awesome Come on down. Nobody else took the time sure, you know to come down and we walked up on the boardwalk And we right. stood in front of convention hall mm-hmm. and the paramount and then went around to the north side And you look back at the building there and you look back at the stretch of beach and he just looked around and he said, "Wow,
0: I see people. I can
1: see this happening." <laughs> and he ran it up the flagpole to the C three fellas, and they all were like, "This actually looks like a pretty good idea." And so, the four of us just took it upon ourselves to make this happen and to have the support from C three, who puts on Lollapalooza, right. Austin City Limits, all over the world. Right? They know how they to do, do this. Yeah, they do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, last year, last year Lollapalooza,
0: when Lollapalooza. I was, I mean, it was run so well. Yeah. I mean, besides how phenomenal the acts were. Yeah.
1: And then, you know, like even choosing how we choose our acts, we choose our acts in a sense because of music that we love. Right. And how versatile our love of music is from Mm -hmm. reggae to punk rock to legacy acts like Blondie.
0: Right. B-52s this year.
1: B-52s. And then the surfing aspect. We literally have a surfing activation where during the music while it's being played, there's a surf contest. Men and women from all over the country come out and they, who can be the most entertaining? That's really what it comes down to. And it was such a hit. People, you know, I asked a lot of people. They're like, "Yeah, my favorite set to surf to was Blondie." You know, <laughs> but then we had Jack Johnson here. Yeah, we had was, Incubus. It's just one we after the other. I D. mean, it was really, right. it was. A, yeah, I mean, Jack came in incredible. on his set was until the end of the day on right, Sunday. Right. Jack shows up Saturday morning. We tuck a surfboard under his arm. He and G Love go out and mm-hmm. surf most of the weekend. Sure. Jack comes in. He sits in with all sorts of people. One time I come back and he's sitting in with the band. The house band at the Asbury Hotel (laughs) doing a song, right? And then we have the Late Night Jam, right. where Tangier's Blues Band sure. and Prez Hall played. Right. We have St. Paul and the Broken Bones mm-hmm. doing this year. We have Mike McCready coming in oh, for Pearl Jam fantastic. to hang out and do an art show and then also play. It's been mind-blowing to us. And I think our goal is always to, to imagine this family that comes in. And the mom and dad are like, I can't wait to show you Social Distortion. Mm-hmm. And the kids to come in and say, "Like, I can't wait for you to see... You know, Milky Chance. Right. Or, and then you uh, had Bruce show yeah. up with
0: Social D last year to, to right. combine the two generations. That's right. And, that's right. and yeah. any any thoughts of filmings or See Here Now You know, Film in the future? We do document yeah. it.
1: We archive it. Right. We had, you know, Good. one of the things that's my baby in the festival is, taking the Transparent Clinch Gallery and doing a pop-up over there. And what we do is we show some of my photographs because I am one of the musicians that play the festival. But then we curate art from other musicians in the festival. And we show their art and we put it up for sale and we put some of the funds go to charity. And basically, the artists come in and they might talk about their, you know, five minute <laughs> conversation about their art and how their music inspires their art and how their art inspires their music. And then maybe they'll play a song like Jack Johnson played two or three songs in there. Ian from deer tick last year played some songs. And, you know, this year we have a great bunch of artists, The guys from blind melon are artists. We have, you know, Dave Matthews is sure. an artist. Yeah, he is. Of course, yeah, wonderful. really, really great yeah. artist.
0: It's going to be, and, and it's, it's days. fun
1: actually unearthing the people that you would never expect have artistic abilities right. and they really surprise you and you're just like
0: I once sold Anthony Quinn's art so I, I wow <laughs> you know you wouldn't expect that but yeah. when I was in, in my years living in LA yeah, and yeah. in between jobs yeah. I worked for a gallery briefly for Anthony Quinn who wow. what people obviously know Mizorba the Greek but what an sure. incredible artist he was yeah. and so you know the, I mean, look you just at Tony never know that. yeah and, you know Dylan yeah Dylan you know exactly I mean so before I let you go the photographers that are listening to the show would probably just kill me if I don't ask you about I mean, you're known for a Leica. I mm-hmm. mean, that's is this, is this one of your favorite cameras that's sitting here? Or
1: this is yeah. this is my go to camera at right. the moment. It's the M10, mm-hmm. which is a Leica digital camera, right? The style is the same as it's been for years, right? And I like the vibe of it, it feels really comfortable to me. It's not a big, flashy camera, and I feel like when I'm rolling around, I want to be sort of. Transparent, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the other reason for that word. You know, a little quiet and a little bit, you know, and like sometimes if you walk into a room and you have a huge camera with a huge lens, it's just kind of a buzzkill, you know? And this is something that's always on my shoulder. I shoot with
0: a lot of different cameras. What percent digital are you at this point?
1: I'd probably say 70-30. Mm-hmm. So, I shoot probably 70% digital. Yeah. But I love my Leica film camera, the M6, and I, ha- I shoot with a Hasselblad, an old CM. Yeah, that's
0: what my grandfather used. I have a, a Roloflex,
1: camera. I have a Wide Alux, mm-hmm. I have old half frames, I have plastic cameras like the Diana and the mm-hmm. Holga and stuff. <laughs> it's just, it's fun to mix it up. But, you know, you really can't go wrong if you have this Leica around your shoulders and you're like, you walk into a room and, you know, I could be somewhere on the road and, and I didn't realize, like, oh, the Foo Fighters are playing. This actually happened. The Foo Fighters were playing in town and I reached out to the band and I said, oh, what's going on? They're like, well, we're all going out to dinner. Why don't you come out to dinner? So I grabbed a friend of mine. I said, well, I have a friend with me. They're like, yeah, bring him along. So we go to dinner with the Foo Fighters and we come outside afterwards. And I I always have my camera with me. And like Dave goes into like one of those old red, you know, phone booths Mm -hmm. in London. And to me, like, if I didn't have a proper camera to shoot that photograph, it would have killed me, you know. And I had my Leica and I shot a couple photographs of it. And will I use it? Well, you never know, you know, <laughs> but I do remember it absolutely, for sure. And I absolutely. documented it.
0: Also sitting here is a harmonica and I'm going to ask Danny as I as I close the show here to maybe just sort of serenade us out and I'm going to throw this in cuz I'm just curious as a piano player who also learned the harmonica did, uh-huh. did you start with piano and then went to harmonica No you know what
1: my grandfather played harmonica and I grabbed it as a little kid and then I started playing when I was assisting a, a guy named Timothy White who mm-hmm. was a photographer and his he and his assistant Russell Ward were just big blues fans. Right. R&B, blues, James Brown, like they had all the stuff. And I had heard of Muddy Waters Mm -hmm. and I loved the Allman Brothers, Led Zeppelin, all these blues based bands, but nobody had ever turned me on to Little Walter, Sonny Boy Williamson. Right. Jimmy Reed, Mm -hmm. you know, all these cats and they turned me on. And when you're assisting and you're working for a celebrity photographer, there's a lot of downtime. You're sitting in a van, you're waiting for the artist. And then they say, Oh, they're going to be out in 30 minutes. Oh, now they're going to be out in three hours. And you're sitting there and I was getting an education from Russell and Timothy. Sure. And I started to bring a harmonica along. And then I started to play a little bit with some friends. And when blind melon asked me to go up and play with them, my chops were good enough that i could i could play right and when i did that and the rush i got and the excitement and i knew they were going to continue to ask me I just started to practice more.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I, I and love then it. I met the Tangier's Blues band. Exactly. And, it's a great fit. The, yeah. what, what a, If you haven't seen Tangier's Blues, you've got to get out there. So, Danny, thank you so much for taking time today. We have the big premiere tonight. We're all looking forward to the Asbury Park premiere of Blinded by the Light film based on the book Greetings from Berry Park, which I'm just so excited about, and it's going to be a great night. We're going to put all the links on our show page about how you can purchase Danny's books and, of course, all the masterpieces that I'm surrounded with here. The photographs here uh, are the for Beautiful, sale. beautiful. And uh, also going to you know put up any Tangier Blues Band upcoming dates. Oh great! And we have a couple I would imagine locally coming up. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah
1: we do. We play at the Fifty Five Bar and the Iridium, mm, right. and, and we're going up to uh, Edgermont in the Berkshires this weekend oh, cool. to play. Oh cool! That's so a
0: great spot. About that. So I'm going to leave you with words written in Danny Clinch's notebook by Tupac after their photo session. If a picture is worth a thousand words, photographers are worth a million. Danny, thank you so much. Special thanks to Tina, who is the curator. Danny's mentioned the curator of Transparent Gallery and all around amazing person for helping make today happen. To Esther Peyron for assisting with engineering and photography today. And as always, the folks at Resonate Recording for the fantastic production work on my show. And now remember when it comes to saving for your future and having amazing artwork and photographs in your house, like those of Danny Clinch, pay yourself first. Danny, if you want to play us out.